Hello, welcome to another episode of Gospel Gal. I am Marissa Namir, Gospel Gal. Today, Joy and I begin a series of Gospel Gal episodes covering the book Sacred Bond by Brown and Keel. The book discusses covenant theology. Today, we'll be focusing on preface and the introduction of the book. We will share definitions and some of our favorite takeaways from this portion of the book. We hope that you will enjoy and be comforted as you look to the promises of God in Jesus Christ. Joy, did you get an opportunity to read the introduction? I think you've read this this book before, actually. Yes, I actually have um, read the book before, but I did get a chance to read the foreword. And I really, really like the foreword. Mm-hmm. Me too. What did you take away from the foreword? What I really liked about the foreword is that it had a lot of like the common questions that people have when it comes to studying the Bible. Like, what do we do with Israel? Like, what is, you know, what, why does God keep his promises? And I think Michael Horton did a really good job with framing why this book is important to read. Um, because it does highlight the historic redemptive history of God and his people. And it shows where God has made promises and he has kept them. It's really helpful when it comes to talking about covenant theology and especially about reformed theology, because reformed theology has kind of a reputation for being like this really heady, weighty doctrine that has nothing to do with practical life. And I think this forward and the book itself really shows how a lot of the heavy and weighty doctrine intersects with how we could view our relationship with God. What is the nature of our relationship with God? What, how does that determine how we do our church, our family and the social and cultural engagement? I thought it was excellent as well. And you can't get any more practical than this just out of the gate in the forward. Uh, the first sentence says, we live in a world of broken promises. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is so true. And then he goes on to say, in, in sharp contrast, the triune God has never made a promise that he failed to keep. Yep. Let that sink in for a minute. He says, unpacking this major theme from Genesis to Revelation is an exciting opportunity with tremendous value in providing the right distinctions and categories for interpreting scripture. So yeah, there's nothing dry or simply intellectual, although it is, it requires our mind to think and be able to make these category distinctions. But what could be more practical than feeling the weight of living in a world of burden of promises, but then realizing that the God of the Bible is faithful and never, never breaks a promise to us. So yeah, that was a beautiful way to start the book for sure. Oh, yeah. I read it a few years ago, so it's it's almost like I'm rereading it again, but it just highlights how beautiful the Christian faith is. Like, how beautiful is it that, yes, we live in this broken, sin-sick, messed up world, and we're broken, sin-sick, messed up people, but that's not the last word. And the scriptures, the Bible actually tells us how our brokenness is not the last word, like God is the last word. Jesus is the last word. The resurrection is the last word. 
and we have a pattern of seeing how God has kept his promises from Genesis to Revelation and has given us Christ. I think that's pretty neat. And then I think the second thing is, is that, you know, we, we often talk about the law gospel distinction. Um, I think this book does a really good job with contextualizing the law gospel distinction within covenant theology. Um, Cause I do think it's important to kind of be able to contextualize it um, within the historic redemptive narrative of scripture too. Yes, for sure. And another thing I, I think that this book is so important because as they say in the intro, I I don't know if it's the intro or the preface, but yes, it is important to understand the covenants just for the sake of understanding scripture. This is biblical theology. There's so much rich, deep theological information in the book vitally crucially important to understand some of these covenants and where god was going with them but it's written in layman's terms it's not like a seminary level book you don't have to be a doctoral student in theology or divinity to understand the book but it's just so rich and deep at the same time as being approachable the ideas that are found in this book are actually what clarified my understanding of infant household baptism. If you don't understand covenant theology, you're never going to understand infant baptism. But once you do, once you understand the covenants, then it's very easy to understand. And once you see it, you cannot unsee it. It's all over. <laughs> it's all over scripture. I completely agree with you on that one. I think that the big issue, I think, between Baptist covenant theology and uh, traditional Reformed covenant theology. It's that whole continuity in the covenant of grace. Really do think that this book does a, an excellent job of showing scripturally that there is that continuity between Abraham and um, in, the, in the covenant of grace in the Old Testament and the new covenant. Really shows exactly how the Old Testament saints were saved by the same covenant. And we'll see that more as we study the book. But one of the things that I did want to clarify for our listeners, in case they're not familiar with this term, if the individuals listening are new to Reformed theology, they may not have a good grasp of what this word covenant means. And in the book, in the introduction, the author says, a covenant is a formal agreement that creates a relationship with legal aspects. By relationship, we do not mean merely those relationships like husband and wife or government and citizen, though those are included, but also the relationship of giving your word to do something. So basically, it could be a verbal agreement between two people. The covenant is an agreement of almost any sort. That's important to understand. The basic building blocks of covenant are found every time one promises to do something for someone else with implied positive and negative consequences determined by cultural and relational context. The promise creates a relationship. It is a commitment with implied sanctions. So I thought that was helpful. When you think about the law gospel distinction, when we think about the major covenants in the Bible, of course, we'll, we'll probably go through that as we continue to go through the book. But one thing to keep in mind is to try to notice who is promising what yes. and what, who's actually consistent with keeping the promises that they're making. 
Yeah, for sure. And it goes into that as well here. One of the things that's really important to understand, and the authors will go into this at some length, especially when we talk about the Abrahamic covenant, different cultures had different ways of signifying covenants. Obviously, the Israelites believed in God, but all the nations around them had gods. So there wasn't like an atheistic, agnostic culture. (laughs) Everyone had their gods. And along the lines of what we're discussing with covenants is if a covenant was made, God was called upon in making oaths, making covenants. So they swore by God, the Israelites by the one God or the foreign nations of their other God, something like, as the Lord lives, I will do whatever. They would swear by the name of the God that they served or believed in to give credibility to their oath. And they would say, let me be cursed if I fail to keep this covenant. But they would make what's called self-curse or self-maledictory. Oh, that's the bit about let me be cursed if I do not keep the covenant that I just swore to. Another thing that I wanted to highlight was um, the three points that they made in the introduction about biblical covenants. That's what the book is going to be concerned with um, from from the introduction onward. Um, So I liked what he said, three key points. The covenants we are concerned with in scripture are God's covenants with his people or mankind in general. God is the author and initiator of them. And they are divine commitments bound by oath. God's promises are oaths to humans with seals and or signs. So I think those three points are important to keep in mind as we go forward in the book, because it's, it's going to color and give context for how we talk about other things, like especially when it comes to the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. The authors are also saying that an oath can be made even if the superior is the only one who understands or agrees to it. God makes covenants that don't require people that are being given the promise to agree to. It it is what it is. For example, if you think about the covenant with Adam or the covenant of works, as we call it in the Reformed community, Adam didn't have to agree to that. The Lord said, on the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. So That wasn't something that Adam necessarily agreed to, but God said it, and that's what was going to happen. So if a superior makes a covenant, the word is the word. Words that are synonymous or have to do with covenants can also be oath, promise, obligation, or signs. Signs are symbols of the covenant. The covenants that God makes with his people, there are signs and seals that are associated with those covenants. So Marissa, um, question for you about the book in general, because I know we've both read this book before. What is something that you are looking forward to exploring again and learning more as we dive deeper into this book? I really appreciate understanding the Abrahamic covenant. And the differences between the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant, Mm -hmm. they're quite distinct. And so often in the evangelical worlds, um, the difference between those two covenants are not understood. What can happen is that people might think, well, the Old Testament is all law and the New Testament is all grace or gospel. And that's so far from the truth. There has always been gospel and law 
throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. When we think Abraham, we can think gospel. And when we think about Moses, we can think old covenant law. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's that. That's exciting. That's exactly, you know, I um I had the pleasure of listening a little bit to our Scott series on covenant theology and um studying infant baptism and just it was just striking to me how biblical the pedo baptist <laughs> position is. I know I keep going back to it, but it just it was just striking to me at how consistent and biblical the pedo baptist position is because um of the way that Paul talks about Abraham and Moses in the New Testament. Like in the New Testament, you read, when we're reading about the the gospel, Paul is actually expanding the definition of the Abrahamic covenant, and he's actually contrasting the Abrahamic covenant or the new covenant from the Mosaic covenant. So when we think about old covenant, we're actually thinking about Moses, not necessarily uh, all of the Old Testament. Yes. Just because you hear about somebody from the Old Testament doesn't mean that they were necessarily exclusively under the Old Covenant or the Mosaic Covenant. Actually, the people in the Mosaic Covenant were under the Covenant of Grace as well. They run simultaneously. I actually have a neat kind of a chart that Pastor John Vonville came up with. I might try to share it somehow. I don't know if I can share it in a link, but anyway, it's really helpful to see the continuity of all the the covenants and how they're similar, if not the same. Well, one thing I'm looking forward to with reading this book is I'm always, I always like the practical practicality side of things like, okay, great. This is great to know, but why should I care? And um, one thing that I really, really appreciate about this book is how it's organized. Um, and they actually go into the introduction about how the book, how each chapter is organized. And one thing um, towards the third part of each chapter, there's always a note. They, the authors really do a great job of driving home why each covenant or why understanding each covenant is important for the Christian life. Um, so that's, that is, again, something that I am looking forward to revisiting again and rereading and, and showing, I, I'm just, I'm just really looking forward to, to having my understanding and uh, my appreciation for the scripture kind of expanded um, and revitalized through reading this book again. Me too. I hope today that the listeners, if nothing else we said today, sticks with you just remember that god is faithful to his promises there's never been a promise that he hasn't kept that's so true um a few weeks ago at church we were singing greatest thy faithfulness and i had to kind of stop for a minute and try to fight back tears and listen to like the voices singing it around me because uh you know like we sing hymns every sunday at church um but this one kind of hit differently and i think I think remembering God's faithfulness and keeping his promises is just like, if there's one thing to take away from the Christian life um, within, within the gospel is that God is faithful. He is faithful to keep his promises. Anything that we could possibly be struggling with, he grounds us. He's the anchor to our soul. Covenant theology really does a great job of highlighting, putting that on display. Amen. Agreed. He's so good and compassionate towards us. And we have a record 
we have this book. It's called the Bible. It serves many purposes. It's history. So we can look back at it and see what has happened throughout redemptive history. We can understand it that way. But it's so significant for us even now. It's not just for them. It's for us. And God has preserved his word so we can see it. And he has written down promises and his word that we can look at and internalize and believe and trust and not blindly, but knowledgeably looking at what he's actually promised and what he's actually done. So there's a lot of comfort to be found there. Definitely. Do you mind if I read a verse from Second Peter? No, please do. Okay. Uh, so this is Second Peter 1, verse starting at verse 3, and it says the following. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. I just wanted to read that because, again, I'm just in awe of God's promises he didn't call us to himself through the law, but he gave us Christ and the promises of Christ to help us to draw near to him. That's everything. It is. I really like this. I'm towards the end of the introduction. It says covenant theology is the Bible's prescribed method of helping us interpret scripture properly. Covenant theology helps us to deepen our understanding of God's salvation and communion with his people through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So it's all, all these promises are about pointing us to Christ. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Gospel Gal. We hope that this episode and all of our episodes are a gospel blessing to your soul. If you are being blessed by these episodes, we ask that you provide us with a five-star rating on our forums podcasting platforms. And please like, subscribe, and share these episodes so that others can receive this comfort that we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We look forward to you joining us for more episodes. As always, until then, we bid you gospel blessings. <laughs>